Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. If you want to grab your Bible, Matthew chapter 5 is where I'm going to be. So feel free to turn those pages, grab a phone, however you want to do that. While you're getting there, I need to ask a question that hopefully will wake some of us up. Here's the question. This is the audience participation section. Are you ready? Okay, 12 people. All right, here's what I'm, I need everyone who loves to cook, raise your hand. Look at you, cooks in the room. That's wonderful. Now I need to differentiate because I would raise my hand, but I'm not a great cook, right? But I, I'm talking about the cooks that when you look at a picture in a cookbook that looks like this, it's going to come up on the screen. They're cupcakes. They're not dainty made. What are you? They're little Debbie. They're not those. Those, that's actually a picture of a cookbook. And those are the cupcakes that have like the perfect chocolate cake that you break it open. And it's got like that cream filling on the inside. Not the cream that you buy from the store, but the one that's just perfectly blended. And when you bite into it, it's like magic. And the frosting, it just breaks perfectly. How many of you are hungry right now? Right? Those are the cupcakes that I'm talking about. Those are the cooks that I'm talking about. Now, for those of you, this is kind of funny because this is actually the cupcakes that someone in the office tried to cook this week. This is the picture from the cookbook. When they came in, they looked like that. It's kind of close. <laughs> right? So just a side note, ingredients are important, right? Otherwise, you get things that look like on the right. Ingredients are important. So for the cooks who can make things look like what's on the left, those great cupcakes that taste amazing, can I just give you a hint? Because when I talk to you, I'm not that cook. When I talk to you and I'm like, hey, what did you put into that? And you use things like, well, I use a pinch of that and a dash of this and a smidgen of that. What's a smidgen? I, when I open up my, my spoon drawer that has all the measuring spoons in it, I don't have a smidgen spoon. And when you say a pinch, does a pinch mean two fingers or one? And I have big hands. So a pinch that you have and a pinch that I have are way that can we use terms that we can all agree to because ingredients are important, amen? I'm not the best cook. I... When I ask my wife, who's a great cook, she makes like chili. And I'm like, what did you put in that? I don't know. I just whipped some stuff up. How is that helpful to anybody else on the planet? I just whipped some stuff up, right? Ingredients are really, really important. If I make a practical shift, ingredients are important to our day as well. I don't know if you've ever had this as part of your day. You look at your calendar. You wake up. The dog's pooped on the carpet. I said poop in church. Dog pooped in the, the kids are just, something is going on. You're like, this is a recipe for a bad day. Have you ever thought that? Have you had that? I spent 20 years in the marketplace. I can remember looking at my calendar or during budget season, I'd look at my calendar and think, oh, I got to sit in the meeting with that guy. That's, I'm just being honest. That's going to be a recipe for disaster. Ingredients, including in our day, ingredients are important. Even in our spiritual lives, ingredients are important. All throughout the Bible, the, there's this analogy that's used off and on about 
ingredients in our lives. Even Jesus speaks about this. Look at this. He says this in Matthew 16, 6. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, there's these group of people, they're a little bit off. Be careful, because their teaching is like yeast. It gets in the dough, and it gets all over the place. It's going to ruin the whole thing, because ingredients are important, so be cautious. Later on in Scripture, Paul writes to a church in Corinth. I don't know what's going on there, but they are boasting in their sin. That's a bad deal. Like, that's bad ingredients. Don't do that. And Paul writes, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. Get rid of the sin. Stop boasting. Because in the ingredients of life, that's going to ruin things. Stop it. Ingredients are important to life. So here's a question. Right out of the gate, here's a question. Do I have enough God in the mix of my day? If the best ingredient ever is God, do I have enough of him in the ingredients of the day? Because I don't know about you, but the world is full of some really odd ingredients that are not good. And so do I have enough God in those ingredients of the day? It's the reason we're doing this series. The series is the 167. If you've not come to the vineyard yet, we're in the middle of this 167 series. Here's what it means. We have 168 hours in our week. What are we doing with 167 hours outside of church? How do we get God in the mix of the rest of our week? It's the whole goal of the series. And so today, specifically, I want to get this should be Someone said earlier, boy, this is a really simple message, but it's really practical. My hope is, is this is an incredibly practical message today, to take God into more of the mix of our workplace. Many of you work. That's an interesting stew. We need more God in that. Now, some of you don't work. You might be a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad. I would argue you have one of the most important jobs ever. You're pouring into the next generation that's a job. If you're retired, your job is to pour into the generation before you so we don't make the same mistakes you did, right? That we all have things that we're called to do out in the other 167 hours. And so this, my hope is, is this is a really practical message to address that. And I want to do that by unpacking this sermon. Matthew 5 is the longest recorded sermon in scripture by Jesus, He's gathered his disciples, he's on a mountainside, and he's speaking to his disciples, but he's also speaking to this crowd, it says. This crowd has come because he's the Messiah. People are like, this is the guy. This is the guy that we've been hoping and dreaming and praying and learning about. He's here, and he's going to give a sermon. We got to go. And so there's this whole crowd, and Jesus starts this sermon. It's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 is where we're going to be, and we're going to take just a few sections of what he says in verse 13. I'm going to start. He says this. This is Jesus. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, 
How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Another version says, if salt loses its saltiness, the only good thing it has is to be down with the manure. In verse 14, it says, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So in this chunk of this sermon, I see a couple of really practical ways that we can add God to the mix of our week. Before I get to those, let me pray. Will you pray with me? before I jump into those. So Father, we joined together today and it was an honor to worship you, but also we're inviting you here to help us. We're all unique, God. You created us uniquely. We have different roles in the world and we need to hear you in a unique way. So we open our minds and our hearts and our ears so we can hear your voice. So we can take you into the other areas of our lives throughout the week. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you grab your program, on the back of it, there's fill in the blanks. That'll help guide us for the morning. Here's what I see. Getting God in the mix, you can write this in, adds the perfect ingredient. I know that's not all social media worthy. It's not the best way to put it, probably. But it's true. Putting God in the mix adds the perfect ingredient. So Jesus on this mountainside, speaking to the crowds, I find this fascinating because if I put myself in the crowd, I'm like, oh, what's Jesus going to do? What's he going to say that he's going to do? It's all about him. It's going to be amazing. He's going to tell us all the great things he's going to do. And he says this. He says, you. He's looking at the crowds. He's looking at us today and he says, you are the salt of the earth. Well, that's interesting. I thought, Jesus, you were going to do everything, and all of a sudden you've given us a role. We are the salt of the earth. What does that even mean? And so I, I need to unpack that a little bit. In Jesus' time, salt was used not just for flavoring like it is today. We all like salt in our food. But it was also used as a preservative. They would take meat, and they would take fish, and they would pack it around salt, and they would rub salt on it, and it would be used as a preservative so it wouldn't decay. And so what Jesus is essentially saying to everybody is, you have a role in the world, and here's your role. It's not only to be the flavoring of the world, but it's also to be the preservative to stop the decay. That's your role. And so essentially what Jesus is saying, you can write this in, is as believers, we need to be salty. Now, some of you are thinking, that's kind of funny, because salty nowadays has come up with another definition. If you're salty, you're angry. You yell, like, oh, I need to be salty. That's not what I'm saying, although that's social media worthy. Here's what I'm saying. As believers, we need to be salty. We need to have the things of God in our lives. That's what Jesus is saying. You need to be the flavoring and the preservative. It's why all throughout scripture we find different things related to salt. He says, uh, Paul says this, Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you 
know how to answer everyone. We have to have that seasoning, that salt analogy, and we have to really understand it. So I want to even make this more practical. Here's what salt represents in the Bible. If you look at a few commentaries, this one comes from the Forerunner commentary. In the Bible, salt also came to symbolize, look at these things, purity, perfection, wisdom, hospitality, durability, and fidelity. If you want to be the salt, that's our role, if you want to be the salt of the earth, we need to be pure. We need to have pure thoughts. We need to, look at this, this is a hard one for me, we need to be perfect. In this sermon, Jesus is talking about the salt and light. At the end of the sermon, he actually tells the crowds, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I'm not perfect. But we should strive to be that. We should have wisdom, not our own wisdom, not, God, not uh, worldly wisdom, but godly wisdom. We should be willing to be hospitable. We should be nice people. We should be durable. If we're going to be the salt of the world, when the storms of the world cross our path, we should be resilient enough not to lose our faith, not to blame God in the midst of tragedy. We should be durable. We should have fidelity. Here's what fidelity means. You follow one person, Jesus. If we wanna be the salt of the earth, those are the things that salt represents. Those are the flavorings. Those are the ingredients that we need, which takes work. I'm just being honest. From my perspective, this takes work. All those, that whole list is not easy. And I can't force you to have it. I could speak for the next 12 hours to try to press it into you. It wouldn't work. It takes effort from you. I, was re I don't know if this will connect the same way it did with me this week, but I was reading uh, in my Bible time Proverbs. In Proverbs 4, the title of it in many Bibles says, get wisdom at any cost. Like you want to be wise, you want to be the salt of the earth, get it at any cost. It goes on to say this in Proverbs 4. It says, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. And look at this, the beginning if you want to start to get wise, the beginning of wisdom is this. Go get it. It's available to you, but it takes effort. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Godly wisdom is available to us, but it takes effort to get it. Here's why I think godly wisdom, here's why I think being salty is important. Worldly wisdom is good, but it's not going to answer everything that crosses your path. Look at this. This is 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 19. It says, do not deceive ourselves. If any of you think you're wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may, beco so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. I want to make this personal for a second. I have been blessed with great education. I have an undergraduate degree in business. I have a graduate degree in business. I have been educated and it has been a wonderful journey, but I've been in situations in the marketplace. I spent over 20 years in the marketplace that everything that I was taught in school had no answers to what hit me in the face 
in the marketplace. I can remember in 2015 getting a call. And the call was this, this individual that I knew that I worked with in the hospital was probably one of the smartest, most compassionate people I knew. He also struggled with depression, and the call was he committed suicide. Nothing I learned in school, no worldly wisdom prepared me for the call or for the discussions that I had to have after that call. I can remember another event a number of years ago. I got a call at my desk in the morning and and picked it up, and it was someone that I worked with, and they had made a tragic mistake the night before, and they were in jail. And their first question as they were crying, explaining what happened is, am I going to lose my job? None of my formal education prepared me for that event or prepared me for the answers to that event. It was only godly wisdom that I tried to apply in those events that got me through and I think provided a little assistance to them. Now, I know those are two sort of really radical experiences, but I also know that in your lives, I'm just certain of this, in your life, you are going to either come to experiences that you cannot handle and overwhelmed or you don't have an answer for, and that's because the worldly wisdom, the, the wisdom of the world is not capable of that. You'll feel completely unprepared, and the only wisdom that works is this. That's it. It's godly wisdom. It's being salt in the midst of really hard situations. We have to become salty if we're going to be prepared for the hard situations in our weeks. Jesus, after stating that we're going to be the salt of the world, continues in the sermon. He says this, if salt loses its saltiness, how, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. It's kind of a weird way. I've read that many times, but it's kind of a weird way that Jesus puts this. But here's how I envision it. Think of a great big pot, like a monster pot of chicken soup. And in that soup, in that stew, we add salt and we add a pinch. We add a smidgen, right? We, we, we add just a little bit of salt in that gray, but what does that do? That does nothing. It doesn't flavor the soup, and in reality, that salt gets completely overwhelmed by the rest of the ingredients in that pot of soup. And some of you are going through life And the ingredients of your week, the ingredients of the people around you and what you put in your life are completely overwhelming any saltiness that you have, and the world is absorbing you. And Jesus is calling us to be the salt of the world. So here's a question for all of us How salty am I? I do not mean angry. Really, how salty are you? Or are you getting completely absorbed and overwhelmed in your week? Putting God in the mix adds the perfect ingredient. The other thing I see in this message from Jesus, in this sermon 
is this, putting God in the mix, provides light to a dark world. You can write that in. It provides light to a dark world. Jesus sort of shifts this analogy from you're the salt of the earth to this. He says in verse 14, you're the light of the world. That's interesting to me. Because if I gathered you today and I said, hey, everybody, who is the, who's the light of the world? Who would we say? Jesus. We would say Jesus is the light of the world, and that's absolutely correct. Because in John 8, 12, Jesus says this. He says, when Jesus spoke to, again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here's, here's how this works. Jesus came as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world, as the Savior for you and I, and he declares, I'm the light of the world. I'm the individual who's going to step into the darkness. I am the light. And when we say yes to Jesus, and when we follow him, he takes that light and he gives it to us. And we are light carriers as well. Now, I think we need to just understand how powerful this light is. So here's a couple of instances, but it's all throughout the Bible how powerful this light is. A couple of instances, Mark 5. Jesus is doing ministry, and this synagogue leader comes and stops him. His name's Jairus, and and Jairus tells Jesus, my daughter has died, you have to come, you have to do something. And Jesus finally gets to his house and sees the dead girl there, and he raises her from the dead. His light is powerful. Luke chapter 8, a demon-possessed guy is so wild and crazy, they, they can't even chain him up, and he comes, and he has this interaction with Jesus, And in one sentence, Jesus sets him free to the point that the man goes back, has a change of clothes, comes up to Jesus, and wants to know, Jesus, can I hang out with you and do ministry? Because I see how powerful that light is. Jesus' light is powerful. In Acts 3, Peter, Peter's walking to the synagogue to pray. And along the way, he sees a crippled man. He prays for him. The man gets up, is so excited because he has encountered the love and the light of Jesus that he runs with them and starts jumping up and down because it's amazing because that's how powerful the light of Jesus is, and that's what you have. Do you get that? And Jesus shares this. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and look at this, and it gives light to every one in the house, that light that Jesus gave you when you said yes to him and when you're following him is not meant for just you. It is meant to light up the other 167 hours of your week. That's what it's meant for. Now, I want to do a practical pause because I want to differentiate just for clarity's sake the salt and the light that Jesus uses here. Because as you think about the salt, that first point that I talked about, 
and you can strive to become all those qualities that I listed, pure, hospitable, I'm going to just follow Jesus. I'm going to learn. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to soak all this stuff up. But the reality is you can do that, and actually you become spiritually constipated because you got a bunch of stuff in, but nothing's coming out. You can become spiritually constipated because you have soaked up so many things. You come to church. You read your Bible. But you are on the sidelines, and you are keeping that all for you. Let's let it out. That's kind of gross. <laughs> all right, we're going to move on from that. Verse 16, Jesus says it this way. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You're supposed to give this stuff away. You're supposed to be the light in the world. You can write this down. Your light wasn't meant to benefit just you. It wasn't meant to just benefit your next three steps. It wasn't meant to be hidden. It was meant to be put on a stand to light up the whole room that you are in your neighborhood, your office, your house. Church, we are close on this. In this series, I don't know if it's just me, but in this series, what I see is dozens of people trying things they've never tried. We have these weekly challenge cards. You got uh, week four on the way in, but it gives you challenges. How do I get God in the mix of my week? And I see dozens of people out doing things. Like, I've never tried this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And they email back. You'll never guess what happened. God showed up. Right. But what if we had hundreds of people do that? Let me say that again. What if we had hundreds of people take the light of the world and actually do what the Bible says and light up the areas that are so dark? Things would change dramatically. I want to close with a story about Sarah Kovach. Sarah is one of, I could talk about dozens of people, but I just want to focus on Sarah. This is a picture of Sarah Kovach and her son. Sarah's been coming to the church a number of years But something has happened to Sarah in the last few years. It's like she really understands saltiness and how to be light. She volunteers back in Vineyard Kids, does an amazing job with the kids. But she also, and I want to focus on this, she also has gathered on her own, she has gathered people to go to a homeless ministry in downtown South Bend. And I, a couple of weeks ago, saw Sarah in action. I was at this homeless ministry and watching from afar what was going on. And I saw uh, in the center, I was on the corner of the room, I saw in the center Sarah interacting with a family that was homeless. Think about that for a second. She's got the mom, I think it was a six-year-old son, another guy was there, and they were homeless. That's sad. And Sarah He's interacting with the family, and if you can just imagine, there's a six-year-old boy there, and he's homeless, and can you imagine the confusion in that boy's heart? What is he thinking? And here's what Sarah did in the midst of that. She got down on one knee, and she looked at that boy face-to-face, and she started to speak life into him. 
She started to be joyful in front of him. She spent the next hour interacting with him, playing with him, speaking life. It was incredible. In the midst of a terrible situation, she was light to that family and to that boy. Now, I know Sarah. She does, she's not on staff at the church. I know where she works, and she's light there. She is not perfect. Sarah, if you're here, you're not perfect. You'd be the first one to say that. She's not Superman, but here's what she does. She understands that her calling is to be salty, and her calling is to shine bright in a dark world. So here's a question for all of us. You can write this down. Last fill in the blank. Is my light bright enough to be helpful? If you follow Jesus, you have the same light. Is it bright enough to be helpful, or are you hiding it? The brightness issue is not on God's end, it's on yours. When we put the things of God in the mix, it changes. It changes the entire recipe. I want to be really practical before I pass it off to Pastor Jimmy as well. So this is for Grape Road and for us. I want you to grab this card. Can you grab this? Uh-oh, what's Pastor Steve doing? Grab this card. It'll be on the screen too, but grab it. I want you to grab it. There's seven challenges. This is week four. There's seven challenges this week. Every week they've been very practical, but this week something has struck my heart this week that this is the week if we got hundreds of people doing some of these, our businesses would change. We would no longer become overwhelmed by the stew of the ingredients of our office or our house that we would bring God in the mix. And so I want you to look at those. On Tuesday, bring Jesus' name into a conversation. Wednesday, take your Bible to work. Saturday, double your Bible time. These are re you want a practical takeaway from this message? You want to get God in the mix? Here's seven ways to do it. And so here's what I want to do, including Grape Road. As you're looking at this, this is going to be kind of odd. If you're willing, honestly, after hearing this message, if you're willing to try this week five of these, would you stand? Oh. And this is not a shaming of people who are sitting. That's not the point at all. I'm going to pray for the people who are standing both here and at Grape Road. If you're willing to try three of them, will you stand? And if you're willing to try one, would you stand? So I'm going to pray for this group here and at Grape Road. So God, we, there's a, a good number of us that stood that said we need God in the mix. And we need your help this week, God, when we stretch for you, when we encounter the ingredients of the world, we do not want to be overwhelmed. We want to take the perfect ingredient to it. And so, God, this week, for those of you who are, said you're going to do five or more, or five or three, or even one, God, would you help us have the strength and the courage and the fidelity to do it? Help us to get you more in the mix of our day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everyone else can stand up. I'm going to pass it off to Pastor Jimmy.
We're going to move into a final time of prayer. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray that you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.